Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Hello and welcome back. Here we are reading Return of Living Dead, the novelization, now a major film. If you're 36 years late on the news, this novelization was written by John Russo, adapted from Daniel Bannon's screenplay, page one rewrite of John Russo's original idea. Um, <clears throat> every, I, I think I initially said we would do a chapter every other week, but in the effort of getting through 18 chapters, I think there's about 18 chapters in here. We're going to try and uh, we're going to bulk it up a little bit. So uh, we're going to do a chapter a week. And in this case, because chapter two is so short, we're going to do two and three together. So let's, dive right into it uh i will interject slightly maybe along the way if it calls for it but i don't want to interrupt the reading experience once i begin <clears throat> not wearing the sunglasses because it just interrupts in the reading and the last thing i will say is i apologize this is tiny print i'm in a dark room it's hard to read chapter two where we last left off eh, you know what you just read the first part you don't need to know about the second part uh chapter two to the beat of loud punk music come coming from scuzz's ghetto blaster a gigantic metallic radio tape player carried like a suitcase on his shoulder tina vitali and the rest of the gang bopped along the sidewalk in a sleazy rundown section of louisville tina wasn't saying much inside she was thinking about what uh inside she was thinking what to her were deep thoughts like her boyfriend freddie travis tina had been forced into some heavy soul searching by the trauma of fund finding sunshine dead from a heroin overdose nowadays she found herself constantly reevaluating herself and her world instead of having pure unadulterated fun all the time like she used to sometimes when she and freddie were making love an act that was supposed to lead to the creation of life <laughs> that's john there's john russo for you she would find herself thinking of how terribly brief life could actually be and wondering if the pain and fear of death were a fair price to pay for a short flurry of joyful existence one such uh one such once such thoughts pried their way into her mind she couldn't banish them very easily. And while she was thinking them, she could not have an orgasm. After faking a few times, she had finally leveled with Freddie about her hangup. He had been touchingly understanding and sympathetic, and this had made her fall more deeply in love with him. But her ability to love was tainted by her torment over whether it was truly worthwhile to love someone for a brief interlude on the way to the grave. Wow. <laughs> if she had the nerve to tell those things to anyone in the gang other than Freddie, forget it. They'd say, hey, you're a groovy chick with everything going for you. So play it cool and stop freaking yourself out, man, because that's how punks talk. 
She knew that she was a good she knew that she was good looking with her long black hair, prominent cheekbones, full lips and big, firm breasts. But she wasn't vain about her physical attributes. She feared that at 20, she was already an old lady aged prematurely, not outwardly, but deep inside. In a way, she envied her shallower but happier friends, Meat, Chuck, Scuzz, Casey, and Legs. Remember, Legs is trash, Meat is uh, Spider, who had stayed quirky, carefree, and innocent because they had not breathed the aura of Sunshine's death. They were a motley, unlikely-looking group of comrades moving to their own beat through the neighborhood of slumlord tenants, tenements, boarded up storefronts and weedy lots full of tumbled down bricks and broken glass. Meat was the only one who was not Caucasian. Uh, his skin was almost as black as a piano key. Wow. He had a reggae cut with long pleated, plated, pleated, plated, I guess is how it's P-L-A- I-T-E-D, plated dreadlocks. His shirt and trousers were shiny black too. <laughs> and so were his platform shoes. Doesn't sound like, doesn't sound very punky to me. Although, again, punk is not a, uh, punk is not uh, a uniform, right? Chuck was a straight, middle-class, white-looking, very square with a sandy crew cut and a sprinkle of freckles. In his tan cuffed genos and striped, sorry, in his tan cuffed chinos, like pants, and striped short sleeve shirt, he was like a refugee from the Ivy League of the 50s, and he came off that way on purpose as kind of a campy personal statement about God knows what. Kind of like, uh, what's his face, uh, Jason in SLC Punk, uh, what's his face, uh, actor. Um, Scuzz was tall and skinny in a green jumpsuit with a matching green mohawk haircut. Legs, his weird, sexy girlfriend, had short, had her short, butchered-up hair dyed blue. She wore bl a blue sleeveless T-shirt stretched tight enough to show her protruding nipples, blue short shorts, blue plastic boots, and blue leg warmers. Casey was almost as straight looking as Chuck, blonde, brash, and bouncy with a sensually voluptuous body. She was wearing tight purple slacks, white sneakers, and a tight white turtleneck. Chuck had a crush on Casey. He had confided this to Tina and no one else. He was too shy to mention it to the object of his affection. Who knew anyway and was stringing him along? So these guys sound like the Power Rangers, kind of, a little bit. And uh, uh, one other quick note. That Scuzz's girlfriend is trash in this. Legs is Scuzz's girlfriend. Meat, who tore Chuck apart, although he tried. Uh, wait, Meat. Well, uh, we missed something here. Casey sometimes slept with Meat, who tore Chuck apart, although he tried to be cool enough not to show it. Hey, are we going to party tonight or what? Casey said to everybody, but mostly to Meat. Yeah, we're going to party, babe. Meat drawled. Well, where? Where are we going to party? Huh? said Scuzz, turning the volume down on his ghetto blaster. Where are we going to party tonight? Casey yelled. Meat picked up half a brick and lobbed it through the broken window of a defunct supermarket, shattering some more of the glass. I don't know, he said lazily. 
somewhere, somewhere over the rainbow. That's where we're going to party. We could go to the park, Casey suggested. Nah, the cops will shoot us if we go back in the park, Chuck reminded. Scuzz snickered, showing his broken front teeth, his mohawk haircut blowing in the faint July breeze. We could take the cops up on it, he said. That would be a real death trip. Ooh, Tina trembled inwardly. I like death, said Legs. I like death with sex, said Meat. How about you, Casey? Do you like sex and death? Meat, fuck off and die, Casey said without malice. Tina, so this is all very familiar dialogue, but it's sort of jumbled around a little bit. Tina thought to herself, they wouldn't dare talk like that if they had seen sunshine the way me and Freddie saw him, unless they're unless all their loud brazen talk is their way of proving that they can still be brave after death has come so close, but it came closer to me. That's why I'm scared to even talk about it. Why it plagues my thoughts all the time. Casey, will you have sex with me? Chuck asked working up his nerve to actually say it, but in a kidding way, go choke a chicken. Chuck Casey said, we could go to the rat club legs piped up shrilly and gleefully. Nah, scuzz squelched. Scuzz squelched. They closed it down, and you got to be 21 to get into head cheese. I'm old enough, said Meat. So is Casey. Yeah, but you're the only one, said Tina, not really in the mood for going to a disco. So how about it, Tina? Meat asked her. Where can we party tonight? Tina suddenly decided she'd rather be alone with Freddie instead of with a whole gang of people. Hey, you guys, she said, a party would be really rad, but I'm supposed to go meet Freddie when he gets off work. Yeah, Casey said. Uh, where are you supposed to meet him? At this medical supply warehouse where he's working. He got a job, Scuzz sneered. What a queeb. Don't knock it, Scuzz, Casey advised. He gets a payday. He'll buy us all some dope. Why don't we all pick up Freddy up? Why don't we all pick Freddy up? I was wondering where he disappeared to. Let's show him that we aren't just we aren't down on him just because he got a job. Hey, you guys, Tina interjected, trying not to sound frantic. I'm sure it would be really rad for all of us to bop over there. But after all, Freddie's bound to be pretty tired. To Tina's relief, Meat backed her up saying, yeah, you're right. Anyway, we got no car. But Casey wasn't so willing to let the issue drop. How are you getting there? She said to Tina on the bus, the stinking, crowdy, crowded and sweaty bus. Shit, I ain't taking no fucking bus because bitched. It costs an arm and a leg. Yeah, all of 50 cents, Chuck jibbed. But no one gave him a laugh. Suicide has a car, leg shrieked, as if she found a buried treasure. Oh, God, not him, sighed Casey. Why not, Scuzz challenged. Yeah, a car is a car, legs agreed half angrily. At this point, Tina blew her cool. Hey, you guys, she shouted. This is just me and Freddie. Since when, Casey jeered. Let's all go get suicide and make him drive us over to where Freddie's working. I want to see this freaking medical supply warehouse. Maybe it's full of embalmed cadavers or something or something. All right. Chapter three. Freddie Travis and Frank Nola were in the warehouse office. Freddie was Freddie was pacing and fidgeting despite his wish to not appear overly anxious to knock off work. Frank was sitting behind his desk, pouring over his clipboard full of purchase orders. Outside, there was a rumbling of thunder. Frank said, shit, sounds like rain. Going to spoil the boss's barbecue tomorrow unless it lets up by morning. 
Frank, Freddie said, what? What's the weirdest thing you ever saw in here? Oh, Freddie, why did you ask that question? Frank put down his clipboard. <laughs> Frank put, put down his clipboard and leaned back contemplate contempt contemplating he's contemplating but with an ly at the end and i can't pronounce the word i'm sorry contemptively contemplatively contemplatively his hands behind his head well kid i've seen weird things come and i've seen weird things go but i've seen just one weird thing that has to cap them all oh yeah what's that freddie asked but all of a sudden, he wasn't show, so sure he really wanted to know. By the way, you never should say oh, all of a sudden as a writer. You never do that in writing. You don't say all of a sudden. Maybe it was the thunder and the memory of the corpse locked in the cooler. But he couldn't stop the chills from coming up and down his spine. This book legitimately scared the crap out of me when I read it the first time. Let me ask you a question, said Frank. You ever see any of them movies about corpses coming back from the dead and and eating people? Frank stammered. Freddie stammered. And and eating people? Freddie stammered. Sure, I've seen movies like that, but they're just movies. He tried to sound brave, but he didn't quite convince himself. As shaken as he had been by seeing Sunshine dead, he'd have shit his boots if Sunshine had sat up and come after him. Frank said, according to a story I read in one of this, according to a story, Frank said, according to a story I read in one of these here magazines like the National Enquirer, the basic idea for some of those kinds of movies came from a true incident. Nah, go on, Freddie countered with a show of bravado. You've got to be kidding me. No, Frank said soberly. What's more, I got reason to believe in what I'm telling you. It's not possible for the dead to come back to life, except maybe on Judgment Day, Freddie hedged, suddenly making up his mind to go to church more often. I, I mean, those movies, some of them were ridiculous. They showed zombies taking over the world, the whole world. Well, naturally, the movie makers changed some of the details in order to protect themselves and act like they didn't know anything for real. What actually happened was that back in about 1970, there was a chemical spill somewhere in the Pittsburgh area. That stuff leaked into the morgue, into a morgue and a cemetery and made the dead bodies jump around and act like they were alive. What chemical? Freddie blurted out. Stop trying to act. stop trying to scare me, Frank. It's called two, four, five trioxin they were going to use it on marijuana or something darrow chemical developed it in the first place for the u.s army they shut it down after the business with the corpses but the story sort of leaked and inspired some of those zombie movies which had some of their facts straight and some of them ass backwards so it's not it's interesting that the guy who wrote or co-wrote the original night of the living dead makes no mention of dropping the name of his own movie in here the way it is in the in the film Return of the Living Dead. That's interesting. So what really happened? Freddie asked. He couldn't help ask. He asked. Wait, what? Wow. So what really happened? Freddie asked. He couldn't help asking.
He was both intrigued and revolted by the discussion, and he still wanted to believe that Frank was merely pulling his leg. But Frank sounded so deadly serious. Well, they shut it all down, and the army took away the contain the contaminated dirt and the bodies, and they managed to pretty well keep it a secret from the public. So how come you know about it, Freddie pounced? Frank leaned forward, glowering. Don't call me a liar, kid. I know what I'm talking about. You see, the Army Transportation Depot got their orders crossed, and they brought those bodies here. Along with some other cadavers in transit from one post to another for uh, for some of them for some of them ballistics tests I told I was telling you about I'm sorry that was terrible you see the army transportation depot got the orders crossed and they brought the bodies here along with some other cadavers in transit from one post to another for some of them ballistics tests I was telling you about later some co- colonel called up here having a real fit and told us to just let the shipment sit until further notice. And it's been here ever since. We never heard from the colonel again. Probably got killed in Vietnam or something. It'd be his ass if we'd had told on him. But we was scared and didn't know who to tell. Typical army fuck up. They put a bunch of corpses here and forgot about them. Why don't you sell them back to the army for ballistics tests? Freddie asked, being jokingly clever. Because they're contaminated with God knows what, says Frank. Nothing we can do with them. Even if we... The phone rang. Freddie jumped. Frank chuckled at the kid's nervousness as he picked up the receiver. It turned out to be his wife, Alice, nagging him about having a pot roast in the oven. And when he was coming home, he didn't get mad. She was a good wife and a fine mother to their two kids. It was just that, it being a holiday tomorrow. She thought... He could leave at the regular quitting time like the other guys. Sorry, honey, he told her. You know, I told you about that new fellow I'm breaking in. Freddie Travis? Well, he's a good hard worker. Freddie grinned at Frank grinned at Freddie. He and I are going to be working here about another hour. Got one or two important items we want to wrap up. Freddie liked the sound of only being here another hour. Heartened, he waited while Frank bullshitted with his wife a bit longer and then hung up telling her that he loved her and that he would see her soon. Want to see them, Frank said, looking up at Freddy. See them? The corpses. What do you mean? Frank grinned, taking delight in Freddy's squeamishness. They're down in the basement. Come on. Remember, third step's a bitch. He got up and hustled out of the office, and Freddie followed hesitantly after him, wondering why he didn't stay put and telling himself it was because he didn't want to be accused of lacking any balls. So he was going to descend into a basement full of contaminated corpses. Frank unlocked the the steel door across the aisle from the men's room, where Bert Wilson had come up from the basement earlier after his security check. Peering from behind Frank, Freddy saw nothing but a black hole. Watch the third step, Frank said. It's a bastard, not a bitch. He hit. He actually says it's a bastard. He hit a light switch and a bare bulb glowed dusty yellow, casting black shadows down the staircase. 
needing to hear the sound of human voices as a bolster against his fear. Freddie asked, you mean they just brought a bunch of bodies here and left them? You know the army, said Frank, starting to descend. And they've been here all this time? About 14 years, if I recall. Cripes! Freddie wondered what he was going to see after being dead for 14 years. What would the cadavers look like? How bad would they stink? Would the flesh be totally rotted from the bones? And might it be better if they were reduced to skeletons by now so they couldn't come back to life anymore? You coming, kid? Frank barked impatiently. Like I said, watch out for that third step. Freddy made himself follow his boss, who was already halfway down before Freddy made a move. At the bottom, Frank turned on another light. There they are, he said with a kind of glee, since he was showing off evidence that what he had told the kid up in the office was literally true. Over in a corner of the vast, filthy, musty-smelling basement stood half a dozen huge metal drums. Freddy stepped over a pile of rusty-looking water to follow Frank for a closer look. Stenciled on the sides of the drums in chipped and corroded white letters was the following information. Priority, Department of the Army, in case of emergency, call 1-800-454-8000. Despite his staunchest effort to seem nonchalant, Freddie stared at the dusty, rusty, corroded drums with a growing sense of foreboding. His heart skipped a beat as he thought about the rusty-looking puddle he had stepped over a few seconds ago. He picked his feet up and tried to see if any moisture had seeped into his sneakers. You didn't believe me, kid. Here's your proof, Frank crowd crowed. There's bodies in there, Freddy asked meekly. Yeah, I'll show you. Never mind, I believe you. Good things these caps are plastic, said Frank. Good thing these caps are plastic, says Frank. Otherwise, with all this corrosion, they'd be stuck tight to the drums. Whoever designed them must have figured that out. Why would they want the cap so easily removed? Freddy asked fearfully, stepping back a few paces. His heel went into the rusty puddle as Frank tugged and twisted and succeeded in wrenching a filthy brown plastic cap off of one of the metal drums. Because there's kind of a porthole in here, said Frank, so the contents can be viewed and inspected. Come here and look. I'll wipe it off. Shit, said Freddy. I stepped in that puddle. With disgust, he shook his foot hard over and over as if he could shake out the water that had seeped into his shoe. So a little water ain't going to hurt you, said Frank, as he wiped the dirty, greasy porthole with an equally dirty, balled-up rag that had been lying on top of one of the other drums. Freddy figured he'd take a quick glimpse through the porthole and that would be that. He forced himself to step forward. Frank stopped whipping, and they both Frank stopped wiping, and they both looked. All I see is a round black lump, said Freddie with a measure of relief. It could be anything in there. I told you it's a friggin' corpse, said Frank indignantly. We're looking at the top of its head. The chemicals made it turn black like that. We can get a better look if I tip the drum towards the light. Never mind. I don't like being called no friggin' liar. Help me tip this sucker. It's heavy. 
Reluctantly, Freddy got a hold of the drum. He he stared at his fingers and saw that just touching the corroded metal had coated them with a rusty, greasy film. I got a block of wood here, said Frank. We'll tip the... Hold on one second. We'll tip the sucker over towards that bright light bulb over there and then hold it steady, and I'll kick the wooden block under it to keep it in a leaning position. Then we'll have us a good look at what's inside. Freddy eyed some of the rust stains running down the sides of the drum. These things don't leak, do they? He asked, desperate for reassurance, although it was perfectly obvious that the drums weren't sealed very well. Well, I guess after 14 years, they can't be totally leak-proof, said Frank. They were made by the Army Corps of Engineers. These guys know what they're doing. I'm sure they did the best job. I'm sure that they did the best job that could be done at the time. Uh, I don't know, Freddie said doubtfully. His fingers felt slimy and even stung a little from touching the drum. I thought you were anxious to cut out of here and go see your girlfriend, Frank teased. Let's stop the bullshitting and have a peek inside here. Then we can knock off. They crouched and started to push. When they got the drum tipped about six inches off the concrete floor, Frank tried to use his work shoe to kick the block of wood in place. Right at that instant, Freddie's fingers slipped and the drum rocked backwards in a sideways spin. Damn, Freddie yelled. He tried to compensate and that only made matters worse. The bottom edge of the drum slid on some greasy corrosion that had been underneath it. And that shove and the shove and the shove that Frank had applied in an effort to steady helped make it fall with a resounding metal thud. It hit concrete. Frank and Freddie managed to jump clear. The drum rolled and smacked against two of the other ones. Then with a loud crack and a well, a welded seam split open and a cloud of yellowish vapor squirted out under pressure. Frank and Freddie staggered back, coughing and choking. They both fell to the floor, clutching their throats, losing consciousness. The yellow vapor continued to squirt out of the fallen drum with the cracked seam. The black, mummy-like corpse inside began to slowly dissolve, boiling away to a black, tarry liquid as oxygen replaced the noxious yellow fumes that were gradually escaping. As the gas in the drum lost some of its pressure, it no longer spurted so violently. Instead, it fumed up out of the crack in the wheel, rising up and rolling along the basement ceiling between the beams and towards the suction of a draft in the stairwell. Early, uh, uh, and towards the suction of a draft in the stairwell earlier descended by Frank and Freddie. So it's not going through the ducts. It's going through, it's being pulled through by the draft in the stairwell. The two men lay flat on their bla- on their backs, oblivious to the gas that continued to waft over and around them on its pathway to the stairwell. The smoky yellow gas floated up the basement steps and crept out onto the main floor of the warehouse. After rising through the open steel door, it then hugged the floor, retaining an eerie, unnatural cohesiveness as if in a mystical sense it felt itself to be the spirit of the corpse dissolving in the drum 
Like the aura of death personified, the noxious gas rolled towards the cold storage locker where the door that was not padlocked, the door that Frank had slammed, suddenly clicked open. The yellowish gas crawled in and around the side and the bottom edge of the freezer door and up the interior wall into the drawer-like compartment where the cadaver was lying. Remember, the cadaver is not hanging by a meat hook. It's in uh, one of those cadaver drawers. Um, The vapor that had spewed into Frank and Freddy's lungs now curled and hovered around the cadaver. Wisps of the fumes entered the cadaver's nostrils and floated between its lips, while the main part of the yellowish aura hugged the cadaver's naked torso, limbs, and head. And in a little while, the cadaver started to twitch as the yellow gas caressed and enveloped it. And that brings us to the end of chapter three. Next week, we will read chapter four. So as you can see, there are definitely some more differences there. You have, you, you have the, 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 I had forgotten that part, actually. The, the way that the drum opens, they don't just smack it. They uh, sort of roll the drum around and it's greasy. I, I have to say, you know, we la- I laugh at, some of John Russo's writing, but some of his descriptions are terrifying. He really makes you, along with like what we've seen in the movie, he really makes you feel the environment with his descriptive words. So that's not easy to do. So while we laugh at John Russo, you know, then the flip side is, you know, you can clearly say having sex is for procreation. She could not have an orgasm. She confessed it to her boyfriend. The 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 punks were going to the disco dressed in in shiny leather. I mean, shiny vinyl, you know, like uh, just like no imagination when it comes to to punk culture at the time. And that's why that feels so funny. And then the other thing, the story is slightly different. So in the movie, we never get any mention of the colonel, right? The colonel, the colonel calls up Unita and says, you know, uh, keep a lid on that or whatever, and then never calls them again. Uh, and I think we're going to find out possibly why that might have been in the next chapter i don't remember the details the next chapter introduces a plot element that's really stupid and has no no business being in this this is an invention of john russo the single weakest uh component to the novelization which is otherwise in my opinion as i said really scary really easy to read really in engorging and i apologize for i hope that my stumbling over certain words didn't take you out of the story um, and if my interjections as well, take you out of the story, let me know. And we'll, we'll, we'll stop that next time. Okay. We'll see you next week with chapter four of Return of the Living Dead, the novelization. Peace and hair grease. Cha, cha, cha. <laughs>